Good morning, church family. Uh, it's good to be with you again. Did, did you realize that this is Palm Sunday? Uh, did you realize that next, that means next week is Easter? How crazy is that? Uh, this is, time just seems to, to be really weird in this season, doesn't it? That, uh, that to think that all my weeks and days are smooshing together and, and it, it just, it's, time's flying by. That means Thursday we'll remember the Last Supper Jesus had with his disciples. Friday, we'll remember what makes this Friday Good Friday. We'll remember the cross of Christ. And Sunday is Easter Sunday, where we celebrate that our, our King died on the cross for us, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again, conquering sin, death, and hell for all who call upon his name. Can, can you imagine? Could you imagine? Two months ago, three months ago, that churches around the world would have to um, cancel their physical service for Easter. Could you imagine that? I couldn't. I, could, I couldn't imagine what, in the, what would have to happen in the world to make that, to make that happen. Uh, but, but here we are. And it's heartbreaking for me. And I know it's heartbreaking for you too. It's almost unthinkable. Uh, to think that that I just, just I just think about Easter Sunday and how awesome it is, and to hear people see each other for the first time that Sunday morning and and say He is risen and He is risen indeed. Do you do that? Do you hear people who do that? Uh, to to see everybody, you know, some of us get more dressed up on Easter than others, and that's always fun to see. And sometimes the little kids will wear their little ties and things, and it's just so cute and it's just so fun and to see. Uh, the church packed out more than usual. I mean, it's just neat and to sing those songs, to hear each other sing those songs that talk about how we are free in Christ and how He has done it and He has He has achieved victory for us. And when I think about these, really, this thing it really just was heavy, heavy on my heart. Um, but you know what? What Palm Sunday tells us? It's amazing. It's it's amazing how God uses words uh, in our present situation. Um, Palm Sunday, in the passage that, that Bob read, has this awesome phrase in it. Jesus says, if these people stay silent, the rocks themselves will cry out. If churches all over the world are empty, the rocks themselves will cry out for our King. You know what this tells us? And you know, you know what, what, through triumphal entry, what Palm Sunday, what Luke 19 tells us? It tells us it's okay. It's okay. We might feel like we're missing out on something, but our King misses nothing. His glory, He will still receive His glory, no matter what's happening around us. Isn't that good news? That is great news. So, let us lament that we can't be together on Easter Sunday, but let's not forget that our King will get His glory and will get His praise. And we can still praise our King together. Let's remember that our King Jesus has arrived, that He is in control, that He loves sinners, and that He has brought satisfaction to heaven on our account. That's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk, let's talk one more time through the story. Bob read it. Uh, let, me, let me tell you kind of from, from my perspective 
the story of Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. Well, as we enter into Luke chapter 19, uh, Jesus is turning, he's, he's transitioning his ministry. His ministry, we have seen him give sight to the blind, uh, the deaf are hearing, um, the dead are raised. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and we get in the Gospels this idea that Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and, and everyone in the world has heard and is talking about this. So Jesus' fame is just at a, at a high, high, high level. And, and he has done all these things, and, and, he's, and these things, these miracles are a sign for us that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. This is a unique event in human history where Jesus is casting out diseases, he's casting out demons, he's casting out death from people. It never happened before. And so as you can imagine, people are talking about this guy, Jesus. And then we enter into Luke 19, 28, and we see that th this man who everybody in the, in the region knows and has heard rumors about, he's transitioning his ministry and he's now started to move towards Jerusalem, the city of God, where he knows he will die on the cross. So he's, he's beginning to face that fate on our behalf. And so he enters into this, this area that, that is, uh, is Bethany. Bethany is a, is a place that Jesus knows well. His friends are there. It's the area where he raised Lazarus from the dead. It's about one and a half miles east of Jerusalem. It's on the Mount of Olives. It's a very fertile, beautiful uh, side of Jerusalem. And we'll get back into that shortly. Jesus it sends his disciples to a village. He said, go to this village. This is what you're going to find. You're going to find a, a colt, a young donkey tied up. You're going to, people are going to come to you and they're going to say, why are you untying that donkey? You tell them that the Lord needs it and they're going to give it to you. And so he tells them, he prophesies that this is what they're going to find. And indeed, the disciples go and that's exactly what they find. Those word for word. The Lord needs this. The people give them the donkey. The disciples come, bring the donkey to Jesus. They put their cloaks, their cloaks, their outer clothes on the donkey for his saddle. And Jesus begins a journey from about two miles outside Jerusalem uh, to the city. And you got to remember that, that this is the time of Passover, the, the biggest moment in the year for the Jewish people. You remember Passover where uh, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and God has broken them out of their slavery. Uh, the, passed over God, the angel of death passed over the Israelite homes that had the, the blood of the Passover lamb sprinkled on the doorposts. And so they celebrate that God has delivered them. And so Jews from all over the Roman world are flocking to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's a big city anyway. And now you have literally hundreds of thousands of Jews lining the streets, all making this pilgrimage to the city of God. And in the middle of this crowd, you have Jesus on a donkey. And you've got songs. They'll be singing, singing psalms together this crowd would be singing psalms, and in the middle of this joyous celebration, this huge crowd, Jesus is riding in on a donkey. And his disciples begin to put their cloaks 
on the road in front of the donkey. And they begin to say, uh, they begin, let me say exactly what they say. Uh, they begin to say and shout, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is a psalm that they're singing. It's a declaration that Jesus is King. And so you can imagine the ruckus that this is causing in these crowds. People are already stirred up in their souls to be celebrating Passover. So they already have this kind of religious mindset right now. And then they're hearing that the king is coming. That there's a new king in Jerusalem. And he's entering into the city. And then they, you see people putting their clothes in front of this donkey. Uh, that's the red carpet. They're putting out the red carpet for this man. And, and these words are springing out. And so people are getting excited. And the other gospels tell us that they go along the side of the road and they pull off the tree branches, the, the palm branches, and they start waving them. That's what Israel did in, in celebration and joy for, like, for military victories and things. This was like waving the flag. And they're all doing this for Jesus. And so this, this, you can imagine this parade following Jesus yelling and screaming and singing that he's the king that's come to bring peace between, in heaven, to bring peace in heaven. Can you imagine the sight? Can you imagine the sight? And Jesus knows all, and so he knows that, that this crowd is, is full of his disciples and maybe seekers, and he knows this crowd has enemies. He knows Judas is following him. On Thursday, Judas will betray him. He knows that the, the Pharisees are there and are hearing this. He knows that the Romans are watching this. How do you think the Romans liked hearing that, right? Rome had conquered Israel and they conquered the world and there's a military presence in Jerusalem and the Jews are, they, they like their freedom and so they've had problems with the Jews in the past and so then they start hearing that this new king is entering into the city. It's a, what, a, what a sight to behold. What a sight to behold. And it gets in such a furor that the Pharisees, who have been plotting to kill Jesus this whole time, who have had run-ins with Jesus, this is the last time we'll see them in, in Luke, and the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, Teacher, rebuke these disciples! Now, they said this for two reasons. They said this because, like we said earlier, the Roman soldiers are, are listening in, and they, 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 Passover is a, is a tinder box of a time. It's a, a spark had set it off, and so they're watching, and so the Pharisees are thinking, man, these people are saying that Jesus is the king, and he's come to bring peace and to restore Israel, and these say, oh, they could, that could rub the Romans the wrong way. But also, the Pharisees are saying, that's blasphemy. To sing these psalms about Jesus, like he's the Messiah, like he's the chosen one of God, like he's the anointed one, like he's the son of God. Jesus has already told them that he is God. He told the Pharisees that he tried to kill him. And then Jesus utters that awesome verse that has brought me a lot of comfort in the last couple of days. If these people shut their mouths... The very rocks themselves will cry out. Wow. That, that Jesus is so glorious, that his kingship is so total and so awesome, that the king would die on a cross for his enemies is so glorious that if we shut our mouths, 
the rocks themselves can't hold it in. That's how glorious Jesus is. It's awesome. It's awesome. And then everything takes a turn. And they're in this big celebratory fashion and everybody's singing and people are thinking, man, Jesus is the guy. And they're probably thinking he's come to kick the Romans out and they're confused about that. And they might not know exactly why Jesus is king, but he's getting glory, which we love. Um, and, and the disciples surely hear what Jesus said. How, how excited would they be if the Pharisees, those guys are kind of grumpy anyway, come up and, and say, oh, you need to hush these guys up. But Jesus says, hey, if they shut up, the whole all the rocks will cry out. Man, that's got to get you going even more. And as they get closer to Jerusalem, everything turns. And this man on the donkey, instead of celebrating and singing and laughing, he begins to cry, he begins to weep, and not just weep, but he begins to wail. Begins to wail, sob. What do you think they what do you think the crowd thought about that? And then Jesus starts talking about how Jerusalem, this crowd that's that's coming and and is 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 wanting to lift them him on their shoulders and for him to be king and all these great things. And then they, see, they start hearing that he's saying, no, you're going to reject me. And Jesus knows, he knows this crowd that's singing his praises now. And in a, in a few days, is the, the, crowd, the crowd he's going to hear is a crowd that's going to be screaming for his crucifixion. How fickle is the human heart. And Jesus begins to, to weep because he knows that the people around him are going to reject his kingship. And to reject the kingship of the Son of God is to bring disaster on yourself. And he prophesies about how the Romans are going to be destroying Jerusalem in 40 years. And be destroying the temple. That same temple that they're bringing their sacrifices to the same temple that has been the center of the world for the Jewish people is going to be destroyed. Now for Christians we see that and we know that Jesus is our new temple. That we can, we're right with God not through sacrifice but through Jesus' sacrifice. But the Jewish people hearing that, that must have been crazy to hear. So what are we supposed to get from this passage? Well, I think... There are three things that I want to talk about, about our King Jesus. I think this passage displays, number one, that King Jesus is in total, is in full control. Do you see that in the passage? R.C. Sproul says it this way, I love that. This, there is not a maverick molecule in the universe that rejects the command of Jesus. Isn't that comforting, Christian? There's not anything in the entire universe that can withstand the will of Jesus. If He wants it done, it will happen. And we see that in this passage. We see that Jesus is in full control. The centuries are His. He's riding in on a donkey. Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years before this event, speaks exactly how Jesus is coming. It says this, Rejoice gladly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Shout, Jerusalem. What do we see? We're seeing Jerusalem shout. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation. 
humble and mounted on a donkey, not just a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. 500 years before Jesus came. Jesus is in control of every second, of every minute, of every hour, of every day, week, month, year, century, millennia. Everything is for Him. The centuries are in His control. Not only the centuries, the mountains are His. Zechariah 14, 4-5, another prophecy about Jesus says this, On that day His feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem to the east. Remember, what, where, where is He when He begins His journey? Near Bethany on the Mount of Olives, as he's entering in as into Jerusalem. Zechariah, 500 years before, says the, the king is going to come and his feet are going to be on the Mount of Olives. My friends, that mountain that's a, a beautiful place east of Jerusalem that many people use for all kinds of different things over the centuries, God raised that mountain out of the depths at creation for one primary purpose, and that's for the feet of our king, Everything else is a footnote. The plants, the houses, everything else on that mountain is a footnote. It was pulled out of the depths for our king's feet. The mountains are his. The people are his. Jesus knew who had the donkey. He knew what they would say. He knew what his disciples should say to get the donkey. How does he know this? Because those people are his and for Him. And He knows them intimately because He created them. He's their King. He's not their King like President Trump is our President. He's their King like He is the King of every molecule of their body. That's a real King. Your life and my life is first and foremost about our King Jesus. Everything else is barely a footnote. The animals are his. I heard, I don't know anything about animals. I'm the biggest city boy, wimpy boy in the entire world. But I heard that donkeys, when they have, the first time donkeys are ridden, they can kick you off really easily. And so a first time, a donkey who's never been ridden before, kind of purity for our king, yeah, that's true too, but also I think we see that this donkey's never been rode, and he's being rode in screaming crowds, and stepping on, on clothes, and people are going crazy, and Jesus starts weeping and wailing, and, and he is just as calm as can be. Why? Because his master is riding him. Isn't that amazing? The rocks will cry out, and the donkeys obey their master. And not just that, Roman armies are his. As Jesus comes closer to the city and he begins to cry and weep and wail that, that this Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in 70 year, in 40 years in 70 AD, destroyed by the Roman armies. So what does this tell us? It tells us that the Roman armies are his. He knows what they're going to do. He knows every rock of that temple that's going to be knocked down. They're His. Our King is in control. It's an obvious connection. I don't even need to say it. Our King is in control of the coronavirus. He's in control. So Christian, why do we worry about anything? We do, 
But should we? This is why worrying is a sin. Not because we have some... there's some kind of standard that we've got to meet and worrying just falls short. No, it's worrying is a sin because we're in God's hands and we don't don't need to worry about anything because we're in God's hands. If we worry about things, we're forgetting that He is the King, is in control of everything. That's why panic is a sin because to panic is to think something other than Jesus is in control. So Christian, sleep well at all times. Because Jesus is awake. Isn't that comforting? What do we see in Palm Sunday? What do we see in the triumphal entry? We see a king that is in total control. And we see a king who is compassionate for sinners. In the midst of this loud celebration, in the midst of this joyous parade, Jesus begins to weep and wail and sob for the people around him and for Jerusalem, the city of God. Because in a few days, these cries of joy are going to turn into cries for crucifixion. Jerusalem is going to crucify its king. The city of Jerusalem is the city of God with a long history and evidence in Scripture of God's faithfulness and the long history of, of prophets speaking for God about God's relationship and desire to bring Jerusalem and Israel to Himself and God's desire for Israel to be a light to the world so that the world will come and, and have relationship with God. And yet Israel keeps rejecting it. You know, Jesus says that, that they keep killing the prophets and we see if they killed those little prophets, what are they going to do to the greatest prophet, Jesus? Is there, is there a more tragic picture than people like us who are sinful and broken that have been promised a Messiah and then we don't recognize Him when He shows up? Is there a more tragic picture than the King of Kings, God coming down in flesh, living a perfect life, loving everyone, weeping for these people, and then we grab Him and we crucify Him? The one that has come to bring peace and and forgiveness and love and unity and justice. We crucify Him. And don't be mistaken. I wasn't there in that crowd, but I would have screamed for crucifixion. They will not only reject Him as King, but they will crucify him as a criminal. And so Jesus is devastated because he knows that the righteous justice of God that he is completely on board with is going to be coming for that city. in God's judgment on His city for crucifying the perfect Son of God. In His judgment, the Roman army will destroy the temple, will destroy Jerusalem, will kill many. And this judgment 
though it is right, it does not, it does not make Jesus happy. He has compassion for sinners. If he didn't have compassion for sinners, he wouldn't be coming to die on a cross. He says, had you known the things that make for peace, but you will be destroyed for rejecting God's offer of peace and mercy and grace. And not just reject, but you will take God's offer, the Son of God, the perfect Son of God. You won't just reject Him, you'll nail Him to a cross. Kings enter cities in two ways. They enter on a donkey for peace. And they enter on a horse for war. Jerusalem will be destroyed. A temporal earthly judgment on the rejection of Jesus as king. But Jesus is also weeping for their eternal destruction. To reject Jesus as king for everyone who has ever lived is to, is to see the destruction of Jerusalem as the destruction of our soul if we reject Jesus as king. And Jesus is weeping not only for Israel at this time, but he's weeping for everyone who will reject him because he knows he's coming on a donkey now, but Revelation says when he returns again, time will be up and he'll be coming on a horse for war, to judge the unrepentant, to judge all who have rejected him as the king and, and sacrificial lamb. But we see, don't you, don't you appreciate this at least? Don't you see the, the tears of Jesus? I mean, this is, God is not, he's not... God says it this way in Ezekiel 18.33, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and, rather, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? What an offering. Jesus has a heart for sinners. He wants to see them saved. So my friend, time is short. Accept Jesus as your king. And the third thing that Jesus brings, he's in full control. He has full compassion for sinners and he brings full satisfaction in heaven. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So he's the king in the name of the Lord. He's the Lord's representative. He's God in flesh, second person of the Trinity. He has come in the name of the Lord. And he says, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven? Don't you, don't you have in your mind that isn't heaven a peaceful place all the time? What does that mean? If, if we mean that heaven is a place of rest and joy and peace for the faithful who have trust in Jesus, then yes, heaven is a place of absolute peace. But if we mean peace as in God has just accepted that there's sin and death and, and injustice in the world and he's put his feet up and he's fine with all of that, if we think he's at peace that way, then no, heaven is not a place of peace. 
My friends, God is at war with injustice. God is at war with sin. He is so holy, he cannot be in the, sin cannot be in the presence of God. I mean, this is how holy he is. Hebrews says, our God is an all-consuming fire. God is at war with these things. So in heaven, there is a clash of these good things. There is a clash of the good wrath of God. He has wrath against injustice and sin, and that is a good thing. It's a clash of, of the good hatred of God against sin. Scripture tells us clearly God hates sin. And we see a clash of the good love of God for the world. And we see a clash of the good mercy of God towards sinners. We see Jesus weep for sinners. And we see a clash with the brilliant holiness of God. And we see the brilliant justice of God. All these things in my mind are just swirling in heaven. And how can all these things fit together? How can God both hate and be wrathful towards sin and yet love the world and be merciful towards sinners and offer, how, how do all these things be satisfied? Well, all of these things that are whirling around are put at peace and are satisfied in the cross of Jesus Christ. We have the wrath of God satisfied. Romans 1.18 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God. And on the cross of Christ, that wrath is satisfied. Isaiah 53, He was pierced for our sins. He was crushed for our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Jesus, and by His wounds we are healed. The wrath of God was poured out on our substitute, Jesus, and that brought peace, that brought satisfaction. The righteousness of God. How can God be righteous and forgive our worst sins? Can He just forget about all my terrible sins? He wouldn't be a good God. Romans 3.26 says, God presented Him, Jesus, as the atoning sacrifice through faith in His blood in order to demonstrate His righteousness. Isn't that beautiful? That, that Jesus takes my sins and so all my sins have been punished on the cross. Jesus took my place. And my sins have been paid for. And God has displayed His righteousness on a willing Jesus. The love of God and God's hate for sin. How are these reconciled? Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates His love in the cross of Christ, dying for sinners, bringing full satisfaction for the love of the love and mercy of God. John 3.16, you probably know this, for God so loved the world that He gave His only Son 
that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. And so all these things whirling around, the wrath of God, the justice of God, the God's hate for sin, God's holiness, His mercy and His love, all these things that are whirling around have found peace and have found, have found satisfaction in the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' willing death on the cross, we have the brilliant holiness of God, the good wrath and hatred of God towards sin, the mercy and the grace of God towards sinners, the love of God for the faithful, all colliding together to bring peace in heaven. With the cross, God is satisfied in me. And with the cross, God can be satisfied in you. Christians, our King has come. He is in control. He is not missing one iota of glory. He knows what's coming. He knows what's going to be happening. He has us in His hands. Sinners like me, Take comfort that Jesus has full compassion for sinners and understand that Jesus' death on the cross is an offering of peace with God to you and to me. And we don't earn this peace by being good people or by karma or hoping our good outweighs our bad. No, we, we get this peace with God by faith, by trusting in Jesus and his substitutionary death that he died on the cross in our place, taking on the wrath of God that's due us for our sins. I pray this has comforted your heart. I pray that we can celebrate these things even as we are apart. And if you are watching this and you do not have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Jesus loves you. He wants to provide a means to love you forever in heaven. Have faith in Jesus. Church, we love you. Our King has come. In a week, our King will have died on the cross and risen again with our freedom in hand. I hope that you take this week and you remember, even though we're not together, remember on Thursday, remember with your family that this is the time for the Last Supper. Remember that Jesus is going to be betrayed for us. On Friday, remember, it's Good Friday. Even though Jesus died on the cross, it is Good Friday because He died as a substitute for us, a sacrifice for us. And then He laid in the grave and He rose again on Easter Sunday. And we will see you then. Do me a favor. Call one another. Love one another well in this time. Be praying for one another. Darren is going to tell you about an opportunity where you can help us uh, next week during Easter, how you can contribute to our video um, where we celebrate together. So be listening for Darren. Uh, we love you and we will see you next week.